high cancer rates in communities living near toxic chemical plants or dumping grounds, lead making water undrinkable, heavy industry and truck routes being placed in neighborhoods of color, leading to higher cases of asthma and other respiratory problems. These are all examples of environmental injustice. The Biden administration has acknowledged that pollution burdens low-income and communities of color disproportionately and has created an office dedicated to environmental justice. So here to tell us more about the White House's efforts to make sure that people on the front lines have what they need to adapt to pollution and extreme weather is Jalan White Newsom. She's the federal chief environmental justice officer for the White House. Welcome, Jalan. Thank you, Sasha. Glad to be here. And here to tell us how this applies to Chicago is Karen Weigert, Reset's sustainability contributor and director of Loyola University Chicago's Baumart Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility. Hey, Karen. Good to hey, see Sasha. you. Hey, Sasha. So I'll start with you, Jalan. The, the federal government, we know, hasn't really had a working definition of environmental justice before. So why don't you clear it up for us? How does this administration define it? Sasha, thanks so much for the question. And what I will say that President Biden uh, is delivering on the most ambitious environmental justice agenda that we have had in the history of this country. And so when you think about environmental injustice, it's just how you described it. It's, it's basically what we're trying to do with this administration is make sure that anybody and everybody, whether you're low income, black or brown, uh, whatever zip code that you're living in, that you are able to live in a safe and healthy environment. And that means that you're not afraid when it rains uh, for fear of flooding, that you can go out and let your children play in the yard and not be afraid of them uh, you know, running into pollution. Uh, and you can feel safe in your homes, particularly as we talk about extreme heat and other climate challenges. So the definition is basically making sure that folks have an environment that we all wanna live in. Yeah. Well, what do you make of this position, Karen, existing now at the federal level? Yeah, it's a very new approach, and it's incredible to think about what can happen when the federal government uses all of its reach to actually reach out to those communities that have been overburdened and underserved. And uh, it's new that this administration has this role, and it fits into one of the very early, essentially, promises that the administration made, and that was Justice 40. Mm -hmm. you know, the idea that 40% of all the benefits of the investments the federal government was going to be making in climate and transportation and housing energy would go to those communities that were historically underserved and overburdened. So it's a very new role, uh, but it's building on an early promise, and it has the potential to transform communities across the country. When you talk about overburdened and underserved communities, I mean, Chicago's no stranger to that, right, Karen? We've got a long connection to the environmental justice movement. Yeah, Chicago does, in some ways, for all the wrong reasons, because there have been concentrations of pollution in some neighborhoods, because there have been laws and uh, lending that has been restricted. And so different parts of this one large area of Chicago can look and feel very different. The burdens are very different. But from that came extraordinary leadership. If you think about Hazel Johnson and the work in Altgeld Gardens and just the idea of a toxic donut. Chicago has had many, many of the challenges, but therefore it's also had a lot of the leadership. So it's, ex it's an extraordinary thing to think about what one individual and one community might have been fighting was being fought in parallel across mm -hmm. this country. And now there's a recognition that there's something shared there. And so we're clear, Jalan, help us make the connection between environmental justice and climate change. Sure. So, I mean, environmental justice is, you know, that 
I, I say that that goal that we are shooting for. Again, the fact that everybody, regardless of where they live, where they come from, um, what zip code they live in, you know, deserves to live in a clean and healthy environment. So that is what we are striving for. And climate change, uh, again, it is is that additional stressor sometimes in communities that uh, makes even worse or exacerbates what current communities are facing. So if you, for example, are living in an area that is near a toxic dump or a waste site or continually, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, truck traffic or air pollution, when you add on climate change, that is another layer, another stressor, because now, you know, in addition to the stuff that you're already tackling, uh, you know, just trying to live your life, you now have to deal with increased flooding or extreme heat, Mm -hmm. which again, puts more stress on people, uh, more stress on the community, more stress on the infrastructure. So definitely there is a connection. But again, if you're already starting at a place where your community is made to be more vulnerable because of the infrastructure or because of policies that, uh, you know, haven't uh, protected as much, then climate change just makes it worse, particularly for low-income communities and communities of color. You're the first person to hold this position. Countries that are responsible for the warming world are getting closer and closer to what scientists warn is the moment when the worst of climate change can no longer be averted. So how do you see your role in this current moment? Like, What, what is possible to achieve? Well, I mean, the, the, this role, and, and I'm again, it's an honor and privilege to be in this role. It, it's critical. And I will say, you know, last April, I guess I have to say last year now, um, you know, when right. President Biden signed uh, the new executive order, Executive Order 14096, that is basically revitalizing our nation's commitment to environmental justice for all. That commitment, again, uh, not only commits, you know, the executive office of the president, but it commits all of our federal agency partners to get on board. So when we talk about environmental justice for all, it is the responsibility of this administration, it's the responsibility of our federal agencies and all of their resources, uh, whether it be through Justice 40, whether it be grants, loans, technical assistance, when we talk about the importance of the Justice 40 initiative in this moment, that is exactly what we're trying to address. All of, again, these communities that, again, we've termed disadvantaged, again, meaning those that are underinvested and have been overpolluted, you know, Justice 40 initiative is one of the initiatives to help try and right the wrongs of the past and make sure that all of these investments uh, and resources through this administration get to those communities that need it the most. And so that's what I'm excited about this moment that has the opportunity to actually reshape the future for so many communities across this country that have not gotten the attention, the resources, or the support needed to make sure, again, that we get to that North Star, which is making sure, again, our communities can uh, you know, live in a world that has actual environmental justice. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk some more specifics of, of Justice 40. Uh, it's a historic promise by the Biden administration to work with local and state governments to put 40 percent of money from federal investments into communities that are seeing the worst toxic pollution, as we've talked about, and heat waves and floodings. How does it work exactly? 
Sure. So again, the Justice for the Initiative, which I like to say, it is more than about just dollars and cents. I mean, you know, money is important, but it's also the change in culture that's happening across our administration that's even more critical to making sure that this initiative is sustained. So, you know, as Karen said, you know, the the goal is that 40% of the resources, the investments, the loans, the grants, the technical support goes to what we call disadvantaged communities. And so folks might say, well, who are these disadvantaged communities? Well, where are they? Well, another part of what we were called to do in this administration was to create a tool that actually shows where these communities are. So it's called our Climate and Economic Justice Screening Tool, uh, better known as the CEJST, C-E-J-S-T. I encourage folks to Google it that basically provides our federal agencies and state and local agencies the opportunity to click on a map and that map shows you which census tracts are actually being prioritized by our federal agencies and their initiatives so you know we have this initiative we have this tool that people can use to mm -hmm. easily see which census tracts and communities should be prioritized to receive these resources and so that's just one part of it but the second piece that i want to emphasize is that again it's not just the money it's the change in culture this Justice 40 initiative in this administration is actually creating the space for our agencies, our federal agency partners like the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Energy and others to ask these questions that they haven't asked before. You know, so mm -hmm. how can we make sure that the typical barriers that exist in the federal government are removed? How do we make sure that folks know how to access or what to access or can ask questions and get these grants? So it is a true culture shift that is happening that is gonna sustain beyond, um, which is what I'm really excited about. Do you have some thoughts, Gary? Yeah, I, I love the, the anchoring in this tool, just to start there, this idea that there's a quantitative way to look. It's not perfect by any means, but the idea that you can provide that transparency, but then this build into long-term change. It was really interesting to see you know, one of the grants come through from the EPA to Blacks and Green here in Chicago, because they have the new role of serving as an environmental justice technical assistance center mm -hmm. for multiple states. And so that really speaks to this idea of taking that data and then driving change. And just the idea that that's the lead. Blacks and Green is our lead across this Midwest region yeah. for this change. Wow. Well, uh, can you say more, Jalan, about where we're seeing these investments here in the Chicago area? When I think about, you know, kind of extreme heat and climate change, um, you know, last, oh, I think it was September, uh, one of our Justice 40 programs through the Department of Agriculture, USDA, uh, it, you know, gives about a billion dollars in competitive grants across the country to plant and maintain trees and combat extreme heat and climate change. And I believe that there is a $15 million investment uh, that went to the Chicago Region Tree Initiative, which again, will uh, do some sub-awarding uh, to support equitable access to tree canopy in disadvantaged communities. But, you know, that's one example uh, from the climate perspective. But even as you think about, again, environmental justice is, is very broad. And one of the other pieces, again, that I think is critical, you know, the investments that uh, I believe happened in the city of Chicago was about 336 million uh, from the Environmental Protection Agency or the EPA uh, through their Water Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act program, better known as WIFIA. Okay. Another just covered 
Justice 40 covered program that will replace up to about a I don't know, 30,000 lead pipes, again, that deliver water to homes across the city um, while creating about 2,700 jobs. So again, um, you know, there are things happening in Chicago and across this country that uh, might not have ha not happened without the Justice 40 initiative in this administration. So it, it's exciting. Karen, research is showing that um, temperatures vary in cities based on things like tree coverage, the amount of pavement, and industry. So just remind us how climate change will likely exacerbate what's known as urban heat islands, which I know we've talked about before. Yeah, well, we in the city will see different temperatures depending on where we are in the city. And as the as the climate warms, um, different certain parts of the environment around us can handle that heat differently. And so dark surfaces will absorb that heat. Um, trees can block that heat. White surfaces will reflect that heat. What it comes down to is some parts of the city have more dark surfaces, fewer trees. And so those areas are hotter. And so it exacerbates some of the challenges. And there are, there are legacy issues that have contributed to some of these differences. In Chicago and in cities across the country, the legacy of redlining has meant that some parts of communities have fewer trees based on those old lines drawn for racial discrimination decades ago. Mm -hmm. So parts of the city will be hotter as the climate rises overall than others. And it's changes in infrastructure that can really alleviate that. Justice 40 has an effort to help people adapt to heat and combat air pollution. Can you briefly tell us about the Urban Community Forestry Program, Jalan? Yeah, and, and I'll just say very quickly, you know, it, I have an affinity for Chicago for many reasons. And one of the reasons is I was there, you know, unfortunately during the heat wave in 1995. And, you know, just so just speaking to a Karen, you know, just like, the the many structural challenges and environmental racism that you know leads to certain communities and certain groups of folks uh feeling the brunt more than than what they deserve or what anyone deserves is is really you know you know gosh it, it's it's important to me and and it's very important to this administration and so when I think about, again, not only the Justice 40 programs that are going to address that, like the USDA's program that is really focused on, again, building out that tree canopy and, 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 and working on uh, other ways to mitigate uh, or, or reduce the extremes of heat, I think it's important to also look at the bigger effort. And just last year or last fall, uh, the White House released a climate resilience, a national climate resilience framework. And why that is important is because, again, this framework calls on all the different agencies in our federal government to make sure that what they are doing through policy, through resource distribution, et cetera, are really, again, building climate resilience mm -hmm. across this country. So as an example, you know, one of the many examples is, you know, heat.gov uh, was a platform that was created to provide data and, and tools and different resources for state and local governments. Because when we talk about addressing climate change and heat, uh, it, it is really the local folks that are literally acting as the first responders. And so, again, the fact that this is just like we talk about climate change, we talk about environmental justice. It is an all-of-government approach in this administration. That is extremely important and something that I don't think has been emphasized in previous administrations. So um, just want to raise that up because it is it is super critical and I yeah. think why we're, you know, uh, see the progress that uh, we're going to see. Well, let me squeeze a last question in to you before I let you go, Jalan. I mean, improving drinking water 
That's also a goal of Justice 40. Right? And President Biden has told cities that they need to replace lead service lines within a decade. But here in Chicago, the city with the most lead service lines of any city, we were given 40 years to do so. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, here's the thing. The science is clear. Uh, there is no safe level of lead exposure. And again, I'm a native of Detroit, Michigan, and right up the street from Flint. So I know and I have seen the impacts that it can have on children and adults um, that are irreversible. And so because of many of many factors, including the inequitable infrastructure development, the underinvestment, all these things that have disproportionately or more negatively impacted our low-income communities and communities of color, Again, this administration is is committed to reversing that. And so, again, uh, the EPA announced that it would, you know, loan the city of Chicago uh, $336 million, again, to, to replace those lead pipes. And, you know, I can't speak to the specific timeline for your city, but what I know is that this administration is committed to those pipes being replaced. And I know the Environmental Protection Agency and the Office of Water in particular is very committed to, to making that happen. So, um, you know, it, it it is something that remains a priority. It is, uh, and it, it yeah, it, it, it's a priority. That's Jalon White Newsom, the Federal Chief Environmental Officer, and Karen Weigert, Reset's Sustainability Contributor.